it is great to see our children are learning the Word of God. It's not babysitting here. We're not into babysitting. You want to go babysitting? Take them to daycare. Here, we have an opportunity to help complement what you parents are doing and your grandparents are doing by inputting the Word of God. Today, I'd like you to take out your outline. That outline is very important because today, either you or somebody you know is feeling heartache over this exact issue. And I mean, this hurts. This hurts. I could have called it hope for perplexed parents. The bamboozled. And it's part five of our strengthening your family. I'm really glad you came. If it's your first time here today, if it's not, um, well, I'm glad that you've come along to the whole series. Have you ever wondered, like I have, why do kids of godly parents, not perfect parents, notice I said that, godly parents, why do they go astray? Why do they at some stage in their life go, well, mum and dad, that's great for you, but it ain't for me. I don't believe what you believe. If you've ever heard those words, your heart can feel torn. It can feel broken. This often happens around kids when kids start to individuate around the age of 14. And it can go all the way through to sometimes they don't come to this conclusion until they're further down the line after they've left home. But have you ever wondered that question? Why do kids of godly parents go astray? Now, I don't know that there is one single answer to that. But I do know this. There are many examples in Scripture. This is the Bible. This is God's Word to us. And they are there for a reason. Of godly, loving parents whose kids went AWOL, went haywire. Went out of control, some of them even. One of them, of course, would be Adam. Remember? Remember what happened back there? One of them committed murder. Hit his other brother. You think you got problems? That's a problem. How about Noah? Some of Noah's kids. How about Samuel's kids? What about Eli, remember? The pastor who had two scallywag sons who were gaming the system. Now the Bible records this because it was reality. The Bible doesn't gloss over that fact. The Bible tells us the truth. If you and I were going to make this up, we'd leave all the embarrassing parts out, right? That made us look bad. We wouldn't do that. Why tell the world? How about Daniel or David? Oh, my goodness. What David? David, man after God's own heart. Then he did what he did. And then he knows. Then you see what his kids did after that. Friends, here's my point. There are many God-fearing parents whose kids have chosen to go in a way away from God's light. And the further away they go from God's light, guess what happens? The darker it becomes. Now, they may get away with it for a while because they have a remnant of light and knowledge of God's ways. But God is not mocked. For what a man or woman sows, that shall they reap. Now, one of my, my father in the faith is a man called Juan Carlos Ortiz. His brother-in-law is a man called Luis Palau. Some of you may have heard of him. Argentinian evangelist, God's used him to reach tens of millions of people. I want you to know that one of his sons here, Andrew, walked right away from the Lord. 
for many years. But the good news is, he returned and is now assuming his father's mantle. Who's another famous evangelist? Billy Graham. Billy Graham had a son. His name was Franklin. And Franklin loved the booze. And he went down that path an awful long way with all of its accoutrements that come along with that. And he fell off the bandwagon. Now, after his dad's gone, and actually before he left, he came back to the Lord. Here's another one for those of you who like history. Augustine. Augustine was the Bishop of Hippo. He was one of the early church fathers. And he lived like hell. Womanized, gambled, did the whole works. Knowing the right thing, but he walked away from it. Yet, God's spirit touched him and he became one of the most highly influential Christian thinkers since St. Paul. There is hope. Even when we can't see it, God is working. For some of you today who are sitting here in pain, remember that. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take a passage of scripture that shows us what we should do if, God forbid, one of our grandkids or one of our kids says, I'm out of here. I know the right thing to do, but I'm not going to do that. And the Bible says if you know the right thing to do and you do it not, it is, what does it say? Sin. Now, God never blesses sin. Let me tell you that really clearly. A lot of people don't talk about sin these days. So if you have your Bibles, I would highly encourage you to follow me along. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. I'm going to start off. And it's a beautiful story, in this case, about the prodigal son. But it's more a lesson about God's love. That's what it mainly is. I want, you to, I want to reframe your thinking around this. But it's a story about God's love. It also, though, interestingly, illustrates some very powerful lessons for grandparents and parents and parents-to-be about what to do if your kid says, eh, I'm rejecting all of that and I'm going a different direction. Powerful principles on parenting. And we th we're going to look at three stages in, the, in this what we call the parent-child conflict. And here it is. Number one, I'm just going to quickly talk about them. Number one, you'll have the rebellion stage. It says, I know this is the way I've been brought up, and this is the way you and mum and dad wanted me to, to live, and, but I want to do things my way. That's painful when that conversation happens, or that dispute, or that fight. Let me be put honest, because there's a battle of worldviews, my way or God's way. And then there's a second stage in this, which we're going to talk about later on. It's sort of like the revaluation. And then the third stage, God willing, is the return. There are three stages rebellion, reevaluation, and then finally the return. So in stage one, let's take a look at this. This is verse 11. And he said, This is Jesus speaking, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me. Give me. You want to circle those two words there. Give me. We're going to return to this later. Give me. Give me. The share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. Now, we need to understand this. In that milieu, in that context... For a child to demand his inheritance early was unthinkable. It was an outrageous and presumptuous act of rebellion. 
That's what it looked like. Not only to his father and mother, but to the family and to the village where they lived. By demanding his inheritance early, that youngest son was essentially, if I could use the word in air quotes, divorcing his dad publicly and shaming him. So to put it bluntly, he treated his father as though he was already dead. Now some of you may have felt the pain of that. When your son or daughter came to you and said, if you do not let me do this, you'll never see me again. That's painful. When somebody you've loved, cherished, provided for, cared for, turns on their heels and says, either you do what I want or I'm out of here. I want to ask you to put your hands up for those of you who have been in that position. I have. In every single parent-child relationship, there is a power struggle. When they're born, we've got quite a few grandchildren at the moment. Guess who's in control? Mum and dad. But about the age of two, the battle starts. <laughs> who's in control? And you mums are all smiling. I can see it in your faces because you've been there. The battle of the wills begins. That's why, again, if you weren't here last week and you happen in your quiverful, happen to have had a child with a very strong will, there's a great book to help you through that process. It's called How to Parent the Strong-Willed Child by Dr. James Dobson. I highly recommend that book. So anyway, the kid starts off technically 100% in your control. And then the power shift happens until eventually the control shifts to the child. Now, how many of you here would agree today that often children want that power sooner than you are willing to give it? <laughs> yep, I saw those hands and those smiles. Of course. Here's a classic confrontation, and it's found in verse 12 in the Scriptures. Father, give me the share. And by the way, just notice something here. Eventually, one day, that would have been his, but he's demanding it early. His attitude and thinking is, if I could do my own thing, if I could please myself, if I could be my own boss, I wouldn't be answerable to anybody anymore, and life would be great. That's the attitude. Just give it to me. I can do a better job. Verse 13, not many days later, the young son gathered everything together and he went on a journey to a distant, you remember the circle, that distant country, and there he squandered his estate, read uh, loose immoral living. So we have a callous youth who had a pocket full of money and a head full of dreams. And although neither amounted to very much, his dreams of self-indulgence came true. They did come true. But they quickly consumed his bankroll. Now, the boy didn't merely live off the resources until they ran out. Nor did he just commit to unwise expenditure. He used his father's resources to fuel his 
rebellion. That's an important principle to notice here. What do you do when your kid is old enough that you can't control them anymore? You can't. There comes a time when I can't. And he wants to live his own way and live his own life. What do you do when that happens? That point of infliction. Well, number one, this is what we follow the Father. You let him go. You let them go. I want you to know something. Even though the father, as we're going to see later on, dearly loved this son, he said, no, I'm not going to do this. I want this, and I'm out of here. The father, I noticed, did not chase him. He didn't run after him. It's like, oh, 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 come on, we can make a deal here. We're going to figure out a compromise. Didn't do that. Now, let me be really clear. Those of you who are listening online and here today, listen carefully. This is the hardest thing in parenting, to let your child go. Especially when they want to do their own thing. As disappointing and as heartbreaking as that is, you have to be prepared to let them go. Just like Jesus is illustrating here. Verse 13. The youngest son then set off for a distant country. And sadly, sometimes our children, this is what the implication is, they want to be as far removed from that home and their parental authority and their set of rules and their idea about how the world works as possible. So they go way off the deep end. He went to a distant country removing himself from his family culture and the Christian values that he knew were God's will. They said, nah, I'm out of here. That, my friends, can absolutely be devastating. This is when you need to join all the strength you have not to kowtow to their demands. My mother had a great saying, never negotiate with terrorists. Some of you laugh. Some of you know the pain of this. The Bible is wonderfully practical. Now, the previous two parables had just talked about something being lost. The first one, right, was a lost sheep. Sheep go astray, wander off, they get lost. And some are lost sinners through their own stupidity. The second parable that Jesus tells, because we're talking about the third one today, but the second one he talks about the widow who lost the queen and it rolled into some shadowy corner of her room. Maybe by the carelessness of others. Some are lost by the carelessness of others. But the son was lost because of his own willfulness. And the father had to wait until that will was broken. And submissive. So number one, you let them go. You let them do their own thing. And B, then you number two, you let them make their own mistakes. This is hard. Because even since we're all oh, careful, don't do that, you're gonna hurt yourself, you're gonna bend yourself, you're gonna burn yourself. 
you're always protecting me. There has to be a change in the parenting now. You let them make their own mistakes. So son is hanging out to leave to have what he thinks is going to be a cracker time. And he's totally rejecting all the values he's been taught at home and the parent's value system. Verse 13. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, do you think the father knew that son was going to get in trouble? Oh, yeah. Do you think the father will be very tempted to send him off a quick email or a text to say, hey, listen here, buster. <laughs> be careful. Friends, listen carefully. Some things in life are only learned through pain. Look what the father allowed this to happen. And only the only way this kid would learn is pain. I have had four children. And let me tell you, some of them have got very high pain tolerances. <laughs> some of them, I have to say nothing. Say, could you do this? Yes, Dad. There's no problem. So the, each one is different. This kid, Proverbs 20, verse 30, sometimes it takes a painful experience or situation to make us change our ways. When things are easy, a mama and papa are providing for you, and there's money flowing towards you, why should I change? That's Proverbs 20, verse 30. By the way, how many of you agree with that verse? Can I see your hands? Yeah? Here's how it works. We don't change when we see the light, the right thing to do. We change when we feel the heat on the seat. Then we move. Pain motivates. By the way, how many of you are living proof of that verse? <laughs> oh, yeah. Then see. This is hard too. Let them reap the consequences of their choices. Reap the consequences. Let them do that. Notice in verse 14 through 16. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. Something's about to change here. And he went and he attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine or the pigs. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him to fill his belly. Right now, the, the facts are, the situation is no money, no food, and no friends. It's pretty easy to understand how he's feeling. But for a moment, think about how his parents would have been feeling. When your child has no money, your child has no food, and your child has no good friends. How do you think his parents will be feeling? Pain? Maybe. Maybe embarrassed that my son is living with pigs. 
which for a kosher Jew is an anathema, unthinkable. It made you unsanitary, like you're being dropped down a sewage pond. And parents often wonder these questions. Why is our child doing this? We taught them better. Here's the answer. Kids make choices. I've always said to my kids, you are free to make your choices you want, but you're not free of the consequences of those choices. <laughs> you want to do that? That's on you. But you own the consequences. See, God is a perfect father. He's a perfect parent, and he knows what it is like to have children who rebel. He understands. That's the good news. Friends, let me give you a sentence. Parental responsibility ends where parental control ends. Parental responsibility ends where parental control ends. And the big temptation here, I was with a small group. My brother Pat was up this week, and we were talking to a bunch of ladies at my daughter's place. And he spent many years, as you know, out in the wilderness, just like this prodigal son. And one of the great things our mother did for Pat, and, and it's where a lot of parents fall, don't help the situation, is don't put, if they're going to fall, don't quickly run underneath and put a cushion under their bottom so when they hit, it doesn't hurt. Because if it doesn't hurt, guess what? They're going to get up and do it again. In, in, in my day, they used to have a thing called a helicopter parent. You know what a helicopter parent is? Somebody who's right, hovering all over the top, watching even move. Now they've changed it. It's gotten worse. They call it now a motor mower parent. Lawnmower. Oh, motor mower, lawnmower. My wife's corrected me here. So it's where the parent goes ahead of the child and makes sure the road is perfectly smooth for them so they never have to feel anything that's painful or difficult. That's stupid. That's not reality. Parents, do not support or enable their behavior. Don't pay for things. Cut the money off. Don't support their behavior. Don't send them cash. That's going to perpetuate their habit. You imagine my mother sending cash to Pat. Great. More drugs. More methamphetamine. Whatever it will be. No, mum was pretty smart like that. As much as it hurt her, she cut off any supply. Friends, you need to not get in the way of what they sow and what they reap. They, have, they need to feel the consequences of their own choices biting him in the blessed assurance. So it hurts. It gets their attention far better than all of the talks you and I can do. You're going, to wait, you're going to knock yourself out giving them talks. Are they listening? No, they think you're nagging. Let them carry on. But don't support them or underwrite them. Get it? Good. So if I see you, I'll be poking you and say, wait, make sure you don't underwrite them. Now, circumstances have a way of disciplining their kids that teaching lessons will never be able to do. So here's a sentence again. Do not short circuit the natural consequences of your children's choices. Don't short-circuit it. It may be painful for you, but trust me, it should be a lot more painful for them. So don't short-circuit it. If they make a bad choice, they need to read that consequence of that choice. That's how we learn. Because the father did not intervene for the rebellious son. He didn't go, oh my goodness, I've heard my son is living in a pigsty. I better send some of my servants out to haul him out. He did not 
do that. Stage two. This is the reevaluation and regret that comes into a person's life. Now, let me show you how this really works from painful experience. My brother, by the time he said, nah, to this stage, some of your parents are not going to like this. It was 14 years. 14 long, hard years where we didn't know whether this guy would live or die. That's how life works. When children walk away from what they know, God's principles, it gets darker and darker. I felt that my brother was sliding down a slippery pole, a greased slippery pole to hell, and there was nothing I could do. I'd take him to a drug rehab, and he'd he'd, he'd run away. I couldn't control him. And some times, parents, we need to understand that. Stage two, re-evaluation regret, verse 17. But when he came to his senses, you may want to circle that, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, not starving, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up. Now notice the pain and the remembrance of his father's provision and love motivated him to get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against God, and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, you want to circle those words, make me, as one of your hired men. Now notice the change in attitude. On his way out the door, he was very selfish. Give me, give me, give me, give me. On his way back in, it was a whole different deal. It was more of an attitude of submission, and it was, make me. Big change. Something's happened. When he came to his senses, he said, I will go back. He woke up from his delusion. He woke up, his life was a mess. And friends, we never change until we get desperate. My dad drank alcohol for all of his life. He had a problem, and there were reasons. He chose the wrong solution for the reasons why he did drink. But it wasn't until a doctor looked him in the eye and said, you have got 90 days to stop drinking, or I will be burying you. And from that moment forward, the closest it came to alcohol was a wine gum. That's so sweet. That was it. It woke him up. We never change until we're desperate. Some learns easy, uh, lessons easily, and some, it takes many lessons. Some of you, it took many lessons to bring you to your senses. But also notice the goodness of the Father. This is an interesting verse, Romans 2.4. I didn't put in your outline. Put it on the screen there. Do not presume on the riches of his kindness or on forbearance and patience. Not knowing that the kindness of God, God's kindness, is meant to lead you to repentance. God's goodness can lead you to repentance. Then there is the evidence of repentance. He heads home. Some people will just go home for a change of clothes. Because mom and dad have kept all the room there and they can just roll back in. Not a good move. But he came home with a change of heart rather than just looking for a change of clothes. So what do you do when your kids or your brother's gone? You can't control them. God knows where they are. God is, 
He loves them more than you ever will. Remember that. So what do you do when your kid or your brother or your sister is AWOL? You have no idea possibly where they are. Number one, you need to pray, 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 pray for your kids. Oh, that'll never happen to me. I sent my, I grew my kids up in a Christian home. They went to a Christian school and they're going to be fine. There is no guarantee of that. Zero. B, you pray, 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 and then you commit them to God. Things that are out of my control are certainly not out of God's control. Hallelujah. That's good news. <laughs> and then C, wait. Do not short-circuit the process. Don't badger them. Look, friend, they already know what you believe. They already know your values. It's just that they don't accept them yet. The way of life, the process of life has a way of bringing a sense of reality to them. Don't short-circuit the process. And then three, God willing the return. And that's from verse 20 through 24. Looking at the perfect father, let's see how he handled the return. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, there are three things you can do and should do when your kid finally wises up. That could be in three months, or it could be in 30 years' time. I'm telling you, there's no guarantee of that. But whatever you do in the meantime is you need to pray, 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 pray. You absolutely don't want to short-circuit that. You commit them to God, and you wait. Don't dive in and rescue them. So here are the three things to do when your kid does wise up. Number one is just like this loving father did. All through that time, he loved them faithfully. He loved them faithfully. It wasn't, he wasn't on that immature level. Well, you don't like me, and you're not having to do with you. Well, I'll count you as a dead my son. He loved faithfully all through the troubling times of his child's issue. Notice, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. So no matter how far they fall, um, let me tell you, some of them fall. This might be hard for some of you to hear. But those of you who know me know we've been there. They may fall as almost as hard as near death. In fact, flatlined three times. It can get very low. I am trying to paint a picture of reality. Not some Cinderella, Pollyanna scenario. This is life. Sometimes children rebel and it hurts like heck. So what do you do? You have to love them faithfully, even though they're going down there. And you pray for them. No matter how far they fall or how long they wait, you leave the door open for reconciliation, which is exactly what the Father's done here. Don't say, well, you go out of here. You're not welcome back in here. That is not how the Father deals with us. Don't put up with the sin going on, but you leave the door open. When you choose to change your mind, you're welcome. There was a father I know very well who had a son come to him one day and said, Dad, unless you let my girlfriend sleep in my bed, 
I'm out of here. Now the father's heart was broken. Broken. Because he knew what would happen. Number one, he was snubbing God. Number two, he was pushing all the values that he'd ever been taught. But let me tell you, that happens more than you'd want to believe these days. And the, 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 opening state, uh, the closing statement was, Dad, if you don't, what do you say? If you, don't let, if you don't let her stay, you'll never see me again. So the father would have a heavy heart. said, son, he loved him. You're always welcome back here. But I cannot let that happen in my home. And so he said, fine. Gave him the fingers. Those who are listening online, that means a very rude word. And said, you'll never see me again. Imagine how that father felt. Three odd months later, his father was greeted with a knock at the door. The son came back. And he said to that dad, he said, I have blown it. So the father said, come on him. He came in and said, then what happened? He said, well, after I was so mad with you, I hated you. I went and talked to some of my friends. The first guy said, are you insane? That's your father's house. He pays the bills. His rules go. So, don't want to hear that. So I went and talked to a second friend. The second friend, you can't believe how unreasonable and how up that my dad was. And the second friend said, no, he was right. So he's still very shocked. By the time he came to the third friend, and the third friend said, you're crazy. Your father is right. He said, dad, I realized I was wrong. It can be painful. That's reality. But whatever you do, no matter how far that child has fallen, be it drugs, be it immorality, be it crime, when your kids start stealing in your house and you know about it, there's no choice. Either fix it, you either improve or you remove. But leave the door open. Leave it open. Leave it open. He has loved the behaviors not. So you love them faithfully. Stubborn love, but again, don't bail them out in advance. When your child wises up, B, accept them unconditionally with a heart hugely full of love. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him, the Bible says. That's a moving picture. He didn't send any conditions on his love. He didn't say, hey, mate, you've been in a pigsty. You stink. Put some deodorant on. Cut your hair. Tidy yourself up in keeping with this household's... No, nothing like that. Then I'll hug you? No. He just hugged him hugely. A big bear hug, signaling complete acceptance. Jesus says accept one another. Our problem is we don't accept one another. You have to smell like this, look like this, behave like this. We're not talking about moral things, but other things. Remember where this kid has just come from. The pigsty. And then he's walked. No Camelac in those days. He had to walk a long way. So you were stinky. The father gives him a big beard. Here's another point. The language of love always has a physical side. Always. Fathers hug 
your kids. Pat them on the back. Kiss them. Friends, I want to just point out something here. Do you know that you can accept somebody without approving of their lifestyle? That's a nuance there that many miss. Jesus did. Jesus accepted people. He went to their parties, remember? And they weren't drinking water or tea or green tea. He accepted them, but he didn't approve of their lifestyle. And we as Christians are called on to accept everyone. The father fully accepted the wandering son who chose to come back. You cannot force anybody. And for goodness sake, don't bribe them. Forced love is not love. It's a contradiction of terms. And the father shows his acceptance with a big bear hug, which makes it very much easier for him to admit after somebody's given you a huge hug that he was wrong. Don't stand back like, now what are you going to say for yourself? That is not going to engender the thing that the father modeled for us here, right? So notice the son's confession, verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, after the big hug, he found strength to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven, God, and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. There was a sense of humility before, remember? Pride and God, this is a universal rule. God is opposed to the proud. Guarantee it. But he gives grace to the humble. So you make it easy for them to admit they're wrong. Do you make it easy to admit when they're wrong? Remember, we are looking at a perfect father here, but usually when children come back home after a time of rebellion, there needs to be mutual confession. What do I mean by that? Well, I've done things wrong because I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect father, and you're not the perfect mother huh? or father. And God wants me to confess if I've been part of that problem. Maybe I've had unrealistic expectations, whatever that may be. Or maybe... They have just been downright disrespectful, whatever it means. Anyway, they confess their sin, then see when they do that. And by the way, listen, then you completely forgive them. Completely forgive them. Luke 15, 22 through 24. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead. It's almost as if he was dead. No response. He's come back to life again. He was lost, like the other three previous parables, and now he's being found. The father gave him another chance. He says, quickly, put on that robe, and it's a symbol of family togetherness, saying that you're restored to family and fellowship. When the son came back home, the father gave him responsibility. He didn't let him be dependent upon him again. So when they come back, he said, Look, Dad, I've, been, I've stuffed up so badly, I can't make decisions. I've made so many mistakes. But the father was wise, and he wanted him to grow up, so he made him take responsibility as a son, as an owner in the business. This could be called a story of a loving father who's really the hero of this story because how, it's how God deals with your sin and my sin. And we've all made our own set of mistakes. 
and we rebelled. And that causes worry and grief and bitterness and depression and stress and pressure and parenting problems and problems at work and international problems. All because we have a bunch of people who want to do their own thing. Friends, you and I don't have the right to just do our own thing. We're not lone rangers. The rest of your life, what you do will affect other people in your life, especially those who you love the most. Now, when we come, though, in honesty and sincerity and we admit our mistakes, what does God do? He forgives us and he gives us a second chance just like the prodigal. He he can make something beautiful out of a total mess. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to have a heart of forgiveness and a heart of acceptance. Let's pray. Father, today, you know all of the relationships in our lives. And you know that there are some here and some listening that are in a very challenging situation. But Lord, you know all about that. Father, for those of us who have loved ones who have walked away from you and by their choices have sided with this world, we pray for those kids right now. We pray for the parents right now who are feeling the pain, the disappointment, sometimes almost the anger. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and would counsel us and help us to respond like you did to that prodigal son. Father, we need your help. Sometimes the pain in our own families is worse than any pain anywhere else. So Father, for those who are going through that now, we pray for special strength that, Lord, you'd help them do the right thing, that you would be their counselor and that you'd show them how to deal with the difficult situations. For those who are not even there yet, Father, I pray that the lessons in your word would be burned into their hearts and minds so that when it's their turn, they will know how to turn. And, Father, for those who are grandparents now and are looking on with other children or grandchildren who are walking in ways which are not pleasing to you, I pray that you would give them wisdom and love as they navigate those relationships. I pray you'd remind them by your spirit every day about what hangs in the balance here, Lord. Father, we know that choices have consequences, and we know that some consequences can be eternally catastrophic. Father, Guide us in our prayers. Remind us not to be distracted by the frivolities of this world, but by the importance of following your will and your word in Jesus' precious name. Amen.